Happy Friday and welcome to the Between the Dream podcast. I'm your host, Richard Taylor Jr., reporting to you live from the Workforce HQ in Edmonds, Washington. I hope that you all are doing well. I hope that you have had a phenomenal week up until this point. And thank you all so much for tuning in today. For our new listeners, thank you for taking the time to be here, whether this is your first episode or one of your few first episodes. Your presence here means the world to me, and I just want to say thank you for that. And of course, for our returning listeners, my dream team that have been here with me for any period of time, thank you as well. Whether new or old, I ask that you make sure that you are subscribed and that you are sharing the good news, the good word. Ooh, that sounds real churchy. The good news of the Between the Dream podcast. Make sure you share the podcast with your people if you feel like it can be helpful. So y'all know that we are in the holiday season. I've been having some conversations around grief, overcoming, coping, but then also finding joy throughout the holidays. And I told y'all I had a really special guest who would be joining us before the year was out. My good friend, in my head, my BF, Whitney Popa is here with me today. Whitney and I got a chance to meet earlier this year, kind of semi last year, technically in 20. Um, but she has become a friend. Her family, her husband is a, he doesn't know it yet too. He's one of my best friends yet. He don't know it, but it's okay. Um, Whitney Popa is here. Um, Whitney, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. How are you? Good. Thanks for finally asking me. I've been waiting. <laughs> <laughs> finally asked. Yeah, y'all, like, I'm going to be honest. This has not been the year for me with the interviews the way that I would normally like to do it. So I'm playing catch up, but I have been talking to Whitney for a minute about, hey, want to have you on the podcast. Whitney does a lot of different things, right? So um, how can I say this? Um, a <laughs> woman of many trades, super mom, super wife, super podcaster, Super marketer, like what don't you do? Um, and I, I don't, I don't want to butcher it. So I'm going to ask as we kind of jump into this real quick, you know, break it down for us, right? Tell us a little bit about yourself, yes, but also about the work that you do. You are so amazing when it comes to empowering women and empowering people through your work. And um, yeah, who is Whitney Popa for the people? Thank you. That was a lovely intro, and I was just talking about our origin story. I think yesterday or the day before about how I kind of I like see people like they magically appear and then I my best friend says I've always been a creeper and I told her you know I would choose different language to describe my skills and hobbies but you know I am not offended by you thinking that also how do you think we got to be who we are um but the same applied to you like I had seen you around I was riding my bike back and forth to workhorse, uh, a space that I market and help manage in Edmonds. And I had been wanting to have an Edmonds client. We moved from North Seattle when I was pregnant with our daughter almost three years ago now. And I saw you running past me all the time when I was riding my bike home. So I was on your path and I knew that you probably weren't noticing me the way that I was noticing you. And then I saw that you your story was shared on the little Bipsy store Instagram account. And I was like, that's the guy. And then I like investigated you and reached out and asked you if you wanted to come work from workhorse. And what's cool about workhorse is I'm able to do my client work there. So I quit my corporate 
job, um, my final corporate job in 2017 when I was pregnant with our son and started my, I call it a communications consultancy. So it's mm -hmm. the umbrella under which I look like I do one thing when I do a lot of things. And most of what I do is long form writing and social media copywriting PR that's very community driven for yeah. people, mostly small businesses. That's my favorite because I don't feel like they know where to begin or um, they don't have as many resources as obviously large companies do where I kind of um, learn the ropes and mm -hmm. I'm, I, get super passionate about it. And then I have other little projects that I work on, like our friend, Emily and I, we have a podcast about um, entrepreneurism, mostly talking mm -hmm. to women, but we're not discriminatory towards men. We want to talk to you um, about your journey as well. And love it. yeah, I do a lot of things. I love that. And uh, yeah, so it's so funny. Um, I definitely, and I've told you this, I basically have tunnel vision when I'm running. Um, usually people will have to honk very loud in order for me to even know that they are saying something to me because typically little John and the East Side Boys or Ludacris's move just has me in a zone. And so right. it was so funny. Like, I was like, I remember the basket on the bike. That's the, that's probably the most that I remember in passing. But then after you said it, I started paying attention to it and looking for you all the time, which is so funny. I love it. You mentioned Emily. I got to shout Emily out real quick too. Um, phenomenal uh, virtual assistant company. She's actually helped your boy with a few um, different projects and she's been amazing. You all have been absolutely amazing. Then of course, too, you mentioned workforce, y'all. So like Whitney said, it. this is the reason when I tell y'all like, oh yeah, I'm recording lots of workforce. This is literally the reason why. It's, it's because of Whitney and all of the amazing work that she's done. So yes, thank you for sharing that um, bit about yourself. I thought that was pretty dope too, just from like, how you've been able to like do so much. You talked about leaving the corporate job and I thought that that was dope, right? As an entrepreneur who I just celebrated 10 full years in business back in late November. Um, it's not easy. Thank you. It yeah. is. It is right. And I don't think I, I don't think I rest in that enough. If I'm being honest, like um, I was reading statistics and they were talking about how like a lot of people flame out after the first two years or usually five to seven year mark and they're done. And so to see that 10 has actually been like uptick, right? And I'm like, wow, like maybe I need to like legitimately hold this in a higher regard, right? Like, and I'm not saying that from a standpoint of gassing myself up, but understanding like statistically, I'm like, dude, like you are, you're further along than you think you are, right? I know for me, I'm my own worst critic and I will say that I'm not where I want to be a lot of times, but then thinking about stuff like that. And I want to actually seg into that real quick. So you talked about it. Um, even though, we'll, we'll, and we'll get into our conversation around grief and everything in a minute, but I think that this is important too, um, because I was going to ask you, you know, how, how you had been during the pandemic. We met during the pandemic, but one of the things that I'll say as a friend, as I've seen you over this time frame, is that I feel like during COVID, you kind of took deeper faith dives, so to speak, and, and betting on yourself and betting on your skill and your ability. And I know that that started from you leaving the corporate job. So let's just say 2017 to now, what does that process look like for you when it comes to like believing in what you bring to the table and, and understanding that you can create long lasting sustainability from it? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I want to tell you that please gas yourself up because as my grandma always 
told me when I was running for student council, if you don't vote for you, who else should? So Fair. please gas yourself up. I'm here yep. to gas you up too. Um, that journey for me was more so like I always believed in myself and I always knew that I could. I had all these jobs, these combination social media PR jobs that were so outwardly sexy to everybody else. Mm -hmm. Everybody always told me how sexy and cool my jobs were. But my whole life, I knew that I didn't really fit into a corporate mold. So it was always frustrating for me to be like, I would go to a new job and I'm like, this is it. This is going to be the one where I feel like I'm in the right place. And it never was. And I was the common denominator. And I used, um, I, I was joking the, a couple of weeks ago with some girlfriends about how my son kicked me in the uterus to get it done. I never liked to say like, I did this for my kids. I did it for myself. And mm -hmm. if I'm happier, my family's going to be happier too. Um, but I, I, I'm not afraid to bet on myself. And I also want to be clear that, um, you know, I believe in magic. I believe in like divine intervention and timing and all those things. So when I had made the decision, like I am done here, um, I can't do it anymore. I was so pregnant. I knew I didn't want to go back to my corporate job. And a, a friend reached out and said, Hey, it was for Sir Latab actually. Mm. And, uh, it was one of my friend's boyfriends. So I've often gotten people through friends or referrals that way who aren't like directly connected to me, but know just by my speaking to them about what I do, like, Oh, Whitney might be a good fit for this. So I basically, I call it cheating on my boyfriend. Like I had a client lined up before I actually quit. And I right. needed that. Um, I had this baby that I didn't want to give away to a nanny or a daycare for 10 hours a day. And they, they had more time off than I did. My husband had started a new job. Neither of us had family in the area. There was no way we could have made it work. And I didn't love my job. So I had been in all these jobs at these sexy companies. And I thought the whole time when they had all these button seat policies that I could do this from anywhere and for mm -hmm. anybody. And yeah. so I just, I don't know when I, vo I don't know that I even voiced that to my friend whose boyfriend ended up reaching out, but he said, Hey, we have this opportunity. It was a perfect, it was already what I was doing for my skill set. And the way they had mm -hmm. their budget was that it needed to be a consultant or like they needed to pay an LLC. Basically, I couldn't be a okay. 1099 contractor. So it forced me um, to just start my company, which I did. And I, I knew that like, because of the childcare situation too, that it wasn't going to be a sustainable life for us. And that first year I had made one goal and that goal was to make half my salary because that's what I would be making if I gave my child away to, um, these childcare providers. Right, right, right. And that was it. Like I didn't, I backed into my business. I didn't think about, well, here's my marketing plan. Here's how I'm going to launch. It was just, I had to do something different. And I also knew that I couldn't just stare at my baby all day as cute mm -hmm. as he still is. I could not do that. Mm -hmm. And so my first year of business, I made more money than I ever made in any of my corporate jobs. And I was like, oh, well, shit, I'm kind of onto something here. Right. And then the pandemic came and basically cut my business in like a third. Hmm. And when I would get stressed out, I would go on like Indeed and look at 
real quote unquote jobs and be like, oh, yeah. should I like go back and do that? Talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I would get all up like triggered basically of like, no, I can't <laughs> go back into that life. Um, so I started coming up with like alternate ways to make money. I also redefined how I thought about abundance because my whole life I had been a performer and I thought, oh, this is how I define myself. Like I do well, however you define success. Like, you know, I work for these cool companies or I make this amount of money or I get these grades. And I started talking to, I call her an intuitive business coach and through Emily actually, who set Mm -hmm. me up with her. And we had a long conversation about like how I'm attracting clients, feminine versus um, masculine marketing, because you see so many people, like I sent out tons of cold emails when my business like was impacted from the pandemic. And I Mm -hmm. was really worried about what was this going to look like for our family. I started selling things on like Poshmark Mercari type stuff, Facebook marketplace, like clearing out the garage that like filled some time and made me happy. You and And... Delina are the same person, I swear. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then I just started like really thinking about like, how do I want to refine my business and what lights me up and thankfully workhorse came into my life at that time too because I had really wanted that Edmonds client so that I could just be really connected to that person who I was helping and it's been such a gift in my life and so many others but um I once I kind of removed my ego from money. And I know that that's like a huge portion and kind of a deal breaker for a lot of people. And I had the support of my husband's job and our insurance. So I want to be clear about that. So I had a little bit of privilege there, but I also got to take stock in, this is how I'm going to choose to ride this wave of entrepreneurism. Like it's I hadn't experienced the dip and I think I needed it to be high so that I could be comfortable with the low and know that I could get high again. Mm -hmm. But I just, I started thinking of trades and ways that like, this may not be like financially abundant, but I, we got plans for our remodel of our house because I traded business with an architect and things like that, where those are things that we would be paying $10,000 for that I worked off and was able to help people and then also help us in that way. So that's part of how I rode that wave. And then all of a sudden, after I invested in a few systems too, I, I invested before I was ready in an invoicing system. Cause it was just such a drag, a, a whole mm-hmm. admin system for my business. And then within a few months I got, so I got maybe three or four new client inquiries. It's kind of just out of thin air. I started learning wow. about human design and how I'm built to work and attract clients. And that completely changed my business as well as, mm-hmm. uh, um, And now it's, my business is shifting again in 2022 and I feel more secure in what I'm doing than I ever did in any corporate job because I'm in control. I love that. I love that. And you definitely carry that in control, um, you know, just vibrancy every time I see you too. Like you, you definitely, you, you make sure that things are together. And I love that about you. You said something towards the end that I thought was really strong though, um, just around 
how things are shifting and changing. And, um, you know, business will be changing in 2022 and the 20, I met you on the business or met you personally, but then also on the business side, coming through the space and workforce, something, it, something clicked for me back in, um, April though, right. Knowing this business with me, knowing this Whitney, this Whitney that was like getting stuff together, um, for workhorse, for her own company, for everybody else and these clients that she had. And something ended up happening. I think it was either April or May, but we randomly had a conversation in the kitchen area at workhorse and it was around grief. And it was literally like, I, I could feel the energy kind of shift when it came to the conversation. And I saw you in a different space for a minute, right? I was like, and I, I've been curious for so long around it where I didn't know what it was for you, but you know, that was the first time. And then we had another conversation some months afterwards, right? And so I guess this really opens us up to why we're here today. What has your experience been with grief? You hear me talk about it a lot, but for you personally, I think it's important. I, I know stories are uh, matter. So for you personally, like with all of this super stuff that you've done, you're still human, right? You mm -hmm. still are engaged with your mental health. What is it for you that really led to an experience of grief? I was thinking about that this morning and I didn't know that you would ask that exact question, but I was kind of thinking when was the first time I really grieved and I had a lot of losses early in my life. And the one that was the biggest for me early on was when my like first dog died. <laughs> and I remember being at the pharmacy with my mom and just crying. I mean, animals are a part of your family. And I just, it, it was so random. That was the first time I, I understood or I didn't understand it. I experienced grief as, like I said, with my business, the wave of it's going to just hit you when you least expect it. And I didn't know anything when I was 10 of how to unpack it. I just remember following my mom around the pharmacy and just bawling, feeling so upset all of a sudden. And it had been a couple of weeks since our dog died. And then I had multiple experiences with grief throughout my life. But the biggest thing that led to everything that I am now is my dad getting diagnosed with brain cancer when I was 25. And I think that that, that diagnosis and him going in and getting brain surgery the next day was, I grieved from that point on more than I did when he actually died two years later, because mm -hmm he was a completely different person all of a sudden. I actually, my mom called me at work the day that they were at the hospital in the Tri-Cities in Washington and found out that he had a brain tumor and that they were gonna come. I was working in Seattle and they were, she said, I want a second opinion. And they put him, him in an ambulance and brought him over to Swedish in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And that's where he ended up receiving care and having surgery and all of his appointments after that. But that's when I was in a corporate job at, uh, I was doing PR for the biggest privately held PR agency in the world on behalf of Xbox. So one that mm -hmm. seemed very sexy and I had not been yeah. happy for a while. And I quickly decided like, as soon as he was diagnosed, uh, my manager there took amazing care of me. I actually remember HR calling me and asking me how I wanted to categorize the time off that I had to take to be in the hospital waiting mm -hmm. room while he got his brain surgery and just being in this place of like, I don't know the answer to this question. Like what kind yeah. of question is this? And my manager 
heard about it and marched down to their office and just gave them a what for. And I will always be grateful to him for that, for taking care of me in that moment when I didn't even know like how to take care of myself or what was going on. Um, but that that's when it shifted for me that I needed to get out of that job because Mm -hmm. so many things that little work things that were just not important really showed me that they were not important. And, uh, I've used my dad's, my dad's brain cancer and the ensuing grief from that to really rule my life and the decisions that I make for my business, my family, because when you are faced with basically like death right in your face, all of a sudden nothing you realize like nothing else matters so Mm -hmm. how do I pursue what is going to make me happy ultimately if this life is short and I could get hit by a bus tomorrow right and also like in the back of my mind because I I had such a strong relationship with him like what would make him proud and what would make him proud is always me making myself proud so I have to go out and live up to my own expectations yeah, that's pretty strong. Thank you for sharing that, you know, obviously. And I know you, you've shared with me before, you know, losing your dad. And I know that, you know, I mean, it never brings a person back, but obviously you've done an amazing job just to really try and make sense of it, right? When we talk about grief for so many people, like one of the hardest things to do is to, and, and you said something so strong too, like having to be hit with it harder earlier, even more than once he would finally die. You know, and I don't think I've ever heard anybody kind of share it like that before, because I know for some people, it's not until they get to the loss. But, you know, just hearing that you had two full years to really kind of get up to that point. Um, do you feel like that helped you a little bit when it, by the time his passing came? I do, because we immediately put me into therapy. My mom mm, is okay. a huge mental health advocate, as you okay. have experienced her. And Shout out to moms, by the way. We <laughs> love you, mom. <laughs> she is the most sparkliest, beautiful contradiction of a human <laughs> who's ever existed. And I remember pretty soon after my dad got diagnosed, I was living in a house in Queen Anne with three roommates and a bunch of their boyfriends all the time. It was a very busy place. And mm-hmm. I rode the bus to work and I could not find my Orca card anywhere anywhere. I was looking for it everywhere, freaking out. And my mom had been pushy about getting me into therapy. You need to go start to process this now. And I was like, whatever, whatever, you know, you're cool in 25, your life's just starting. And like how inconvenient that my dad would get brain cancer when my life Mm -hmm. is just starting. And I was very in kind of a selfish place as you are at that age. And, uh, I could not find my bus pass anywhere. And I finally, I kept looking for, I think a half an hour and missed all these buses to get to work. I was stressed out about getting there on time. And it was exactly where I had always put it, even though I had looked Mm. there already. And that's when I realized like, this is like, you're not healthy. You need to go and help get help because I couldn't even see my, my bus pass right in front of me. And I don't know why that flipped the switch, but it did. I was just like, okay, I need, I need outside support in in getting my mind right through this because I'm not going to get through it otherwise that's super strong um even just for you to say that one of the follow-up questions I have for you you just kind of knocked out the park for me was you know I, I know for certain people there might be particular moments where they realize that you know their grief 
is affecting like maybe their life or their decisions. And some people will hear about it from a standpoint of like, they'll notice it after like months or years of addiction or, you know, inviting certain things into their life. But, you know, even just the idea of like fogginess in the brain, like this cloudiness to where it's something as simple as a bus pass being left in its normal space and you still overlooking it, right? I think that that speaks um, to a lot of us when it comes to how we deal with those moments of grief. And I think just mentally and emotionally, it could be anxiety or depression, but there are some components that we have when it comes to like just even normal brain function, something that can seem so simple being like, you know, the red flag, so to speak. Yeah. You know, and I, but I think, and the reason why I say this too is because I think a lot of times, right, as we continue to shift the narrative on the mental health side and different components and conversations in mental health, i.e., grief, and this one, you know, for so long we've had such a skewed ideology or viewpoint of like what we think it is, what it should look like, but not realizing like this broad array to where, so like maybe 10 years ago, somebody wouldn't have looked at like, oh, that was, that was your aha moment not realizing that it doesn't have to be super dramatic, super drastic, but it's small things like that that can give you the indication needed that, hey, I need to make a change. Mm-hmm. And, and so the fact that you, that you experience that, I, I think that that's important because here's my philosophy, right? Over 7 billion people in the world, we do not all think the same. We do not all receive the same. We do not, we don't, we don't attain and retain information the same way. And so I think that you sharing that is going to be really strong for somebody else who necessarily doesn't, you know, my, my grief came through something different. My grief, it came through a lot of different actions when it came to hypermasculinity at times. It came through, you know, identity issues. And so I think that for each of us, we carry it differently and we, we express it and see it differently. So for you to say that, I think that's really freeing when it comes to like, hey, don't overlook the small stuff because those small things could actually be leading to something greater later. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact too, so you said your mom, you got into the therapy piece early. Let me ask you this, with you doing that, do you feel like you were able to, before we get into like what best practices have helped you? Um, I know for me, when I first went to therapy, it was a battle, like, and part of that came just like from myths and like communities of color and me growing up in the black community and like, oh, we don't open up. What happens in this house stays in this house. For you though, it seems like the, the, encouragement of doing it was already there when it came to you in putting these practices into play in your own life was that part easy did it take time like what was that experience like for you the it was a very vulnerable thing for me to ask for help I am I think through a lot of various traumas throughout my life Mm -hmm. I have become hyper independent very much so and I'm saying that as a friend (laughs) yeah and it's something that I'm still working on now and it comes from a lot of deep inner child stuff and I'm working hard on that right now but I'm also an only child too so I Mm. spent a lot of time alone I spent a lot of time taking care of myself and whether that was just because my parents were working and it, it, it doesn't seem that loaded, but it is when you're young. And I remember I used my employee assistance program to find my first therapist. And that's through your insurance where you 
call. And I think we had the first three sessions were covered <clears throat> and I, I made no money and I worked all the time. So that was the only way that I could afford it. And we could have tons of conversations about access and mm -hmm. all of that. But I remember having an intro call with her and, and she was a very, I, what I love about therapists is they're always on your side, you know, they're there for you. And I remember she had very kind of intense energy. Like I needed that person who was just like pushing me, like, no, this was wrong for you to experience that or whatever. Um, I also think it's important for me to note that like in like the big tangible grief sense, like, I think we grieve a lot of stuff in our lives along the way. And I'm doing a lot of grieving around motherhood and American expectations around that just being a woman in America generally. And I don't even have the extra layers of, um, all those different intersections that I could, but I remember talking with her and feeling connected to her immediately. And often it's a journey to find someone. And I did this thing that a lot of people do, I guess, initially with their parents where, or their therapist, where I just Freudian slipped it. Like I parentized them. Like I became so attached to her that, and she was a little bit of a flake. So whenever she would flake on me at the last second and I wouldn't have a session, it was deeply, deeply upsetting to mm -hmm. me. And, um, I, I would go through different, um, push and pull like you do as a child with your parents yep. of attachment and then not wanting to go at all because for various like kind of subconscious mental things and so I had to work through all of that in order I think I saw her for like three years straight shout out to Janice like she helped me so much but the the other layer of that too was that when a person gets sick and I believe this for like marriages births and deaths mm -hmm. Your entire family, at least in my experience, changes. You see the best of people and you see the worst in people. And 100%. so my, uh, I was also grieving what the story I told myself of my family in so yeah. many different directions. And it was, <clears throat> I don't think you have an explicit rating on your show. So I won't <laughs> say like, it was a mind, you know, fill in the blank for me yeah. uh, because it was just, too much to take in. And I think that's why the bus pass thing like pushed me over the edge because my brain was so overloaded and I was starting to do some kind of like dissociative behaviors. I remember when my dad was in a care home at, at on hospice at the end of his life, whenever I would go and visit him, I would just immediately feel like I needed to sleep and I would curl mm. up on the bed and almost pass out when I remember the nurse coming and talking and giving updates and I couldn't keep my eyes open. My body just was reacting in all these ways that I couldn't figure out. So that, that was part of the bus pass thing too, where I was like, I'm always so in control of my mind and my body and I'm out of control right now. And I need somebody to help me get back on track. And I don't know if that totally answers your question, but my, my relationship with her at first was kind of intense. I yeah. put so much on our relationship that I relied on it a lot. And, and I, I guess that's pretty normal for you to, at least at first, like kind yeah. of attach to them in that way. And then also push them away. Definitely. Definitely. You actually touched on something that was going to be a follow-up question. 
around this idea. And I don't think you were intentionally trying to do it, but I do want to dive deeper in this. Talk to me about this thought. You talked about the dynamic of family changing, um, whether death, birth, you know, all of these different components, right? But with that, um, were you ever hit with the question of what would life look like for me um, now that dad is gone or now that this person is passed? Like, was that ever a thing for you before? I know you talked about kind of like the disassociative type of like identity piece, but like, were you hit with that thought? And if so, like, one, where did it take your mind? But then two, like, how did you respond to it? So I kind of alluded to it earlier, but like my younger life was, I expected my mom to be the one to leave. My mom, she worked mm. a lot and she and my dad had their own kind of relationship um, things that they went through. And so there were times in my life when I didn't know when or if my mom was coming home. And for a young child, that's really difficult and you make it about yourself because as kids we're total narcissists as we should be <laughs> and so I I always the thing that screwed with me the most about my dad's death and sickness was he was the one I always relied on he was the one who was steady he was always there and I knew that he always would be and I didn't dream about my wedding dress but I dreamed about my dad walking me down the aisle mm -hmm. so I had all these plans for us and I knew that he was the one that was always going to be there and so I prepared myself for my mom to just not show up and that's something that I actually just like <laughs> went through like an inner child healing about and kind of articulated for the first time to her and, um, to myself just a few days ago, mm -hmm. uh, where I realized, you know, I prepared for her to never come home. So it completely threw me for a loop that it was him who was taken mm -hmm. away. And that was yeah. deeply upsetting to me. And he actually never really talked about dying or we never really had a conversation about it. He and I did not, he wanted to protect me, I think. So I think I prepared myself as much as I could through doing all that work those two years. And I've had right. friends who have, whose parents have passed suddenly through a heart attack or however. Um, and I, I, feel for them on such a deeper level because I am or not like I didn't really prepare to answer your question in in a way of like he and I had conversations and we said we love each other and all of that I, we always said that so it wasn't the thing that I went through of like oh here's this defining moment it was just mm -hmm. mostly that that surgery day then everything was different and I was working through my process of until he died and then after that I started having experiences of like holidays and things where it was like I expected him there or I wanted to be able to call him and complain about something from work that I couldn't or get his advice or uh, he would be my level head and tell me things mm -hmm. I needed to hear, but didn't want to hear. And I it bothered me that I couldn't call him, but I was almost surprised at how, after he actually passed, I wasn't crying. And there were times in my life too, where I was upset with myself for that of like, shouldn't this look a different way? And I know you talked about this on your podcast too, of like, 
um, I just thought like, oh, it's Christmas and I'm not crying about him. Shouldn't I be crying about him? Like the first mm-hmm. Christmas that he wasn't there. Uh, and I didn't know what to do with that, but I gave myself a lot of grace and realized that whole two-year process of grieving helped me get to a place where I can hold a lot of feelings at once. Right. I love that. I love that. Um, thank you for sharing all of what you did. I think that this is so important and I'm glad that you've been listening in to those episodes as we've had these conversations around grief. And I want to, I want to switch gears here real quick as we move forward. So you are how many years removed since your dad's passing? It'll be 10 this summer. That's what I thought. Okay. So we're, we're coming up on 10 years, 10 years removed. And during this 10 years, I'm pretty sure you've learned a lot. What would you say some of the best practices have been for you when it comes to coping through grief and in just your healing? He told me to never lose my writing. I'm a writer. I have a degree in English and I just. She's an amazing writer. She's done some biography work for me, folks. She's phenomenal. Go to her website. We'll give you that at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So for me, I always knew that I'm a communicator, so I needed Mm -hmm. to be in talk therapy. I needed to write about him or for him. I, I had, I started a blog on the side and I would often write little posts um, up to and about him every year on his birthday, I write a letter to him, an open letter to him. My goal was always like, if this hurts for me and I'm going to try to outwardly process it because that's how I work, then maybe sharing it will help one other person feel less alone. That's always been my goal. I don't care about anything beyond that. Like if I can help one other person, whether they tell me or not, that's not really any of my business. Mm -hmm. That has been the biggest thing for me. And then I read a lot and I have recently been learning a lot in this past year. And you probably know a lot about it too, of like books, like the body keeps the score of like finishing the trauma response and animals are so good at this. You know, they get hit by a car, a deer does and get stunned. And then they, you see them shiver and then they run away and that's their body finishing that. And for a lot of us as humans with our rational brains, we don't we, we repress or we don't let our bodies go through it. So that's why I was connected recently with a healer. Her name is Marianne Stansel, and she's working on this hypnosis inner child type stuff that helps you finish these trauma responses through your body and release these feelings. And that's been hugely for somebody who lives so much in my head, Mm -hmm. it's getting back into my body and taking care of the vessel has been huge for me. I mean, you can, you can, I don't, I can't speak for your listeners, but I know for me, like I therapy can only take you so far, like talk therapy and you can only get so far with that. And there's so many different ways to help yourself. And even this past year through all the grief of like COVID and everything too, there's so many layers to that, that I've, kind of found this group of people or they kind of found me where there's a ton of healers within them. So there's sound baths, practitioners. I've Mm -hmm. always been super into yoga. I have to go outside, move my body. Actually part of me probably moved to Edmonds because my dad would ride his bike to work every day in the tri cities. And I thought that was so Mm -hmm. cool. And I wanted access to the outdoors and to be able to ride my bike, which led me to you and being able to have more, 
I hate the word balance, but Emily uses the word harmony in my mm-hmm. life where I, I always saw him coming home for lunch during the work day. And so yeah. I wanted to be able to give myself more access to the outdoors, more ways to be in touch with my body so that I wasn't just always in my head. Yeah. And that has helped me a ton. I know you do your Epsom salt baths and things like that. And I, there was a time when I distracted myself a lot too. I traveled a ton. I always was out of town. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a way for me to not look in the mirror and face it. And now that I am doing, I've always talked about him, but doing kind of more of the body work, I think has really exponentially increased my ability to feel comfortable in the grief and ride the waves a little bit better and notice that they're coming and feel the feeling, maybe sometimes note the feeling or say the feeling and then move through it and allowing myself to cry even, which I didn't used to do. 100%. I love that. I was trying to find this piece here. Um, You talked about like different practices. And so I know one of the things that um, people, um, are starting to become more privy to, and I think it's gonna have a huge effect um, as we move forward. Like you said, therapy can only take you so far, but um, you know, they're really focusing in deeper on like the neuroscience aspect now and how like, you know, from a neurology standpoint, um, you know, the, the connection with the trauma. So you have like Inception, which is the first mental health gym um, ever created, started in Detroit. They've got a chapter and a spot now in LA as well. And um, one of the one of the the pieces that they do is um, they have these like like rural rooms where it's almost like the white padded rooms, but you're like laying down, and there's this like contraption that's put over your head to really kind of help when it comes to like understanding your brain function, how anxiety works within you. And it was super funny when I first heard it. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> when I actually saw it in motion, though, I was like, it's incredible because. What it does is you talk about the inner child healing, right? And I think all of us have an inner child. Like we have the 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 experiences, whether we know it or not, that from childhood were traumatic, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a loss, so to speak, but it, it could be that first experience that was really tough that maybe it changed or shaped how we became, you know, in our human nature and, and, and who we are as people. But I think it's so incredible to see like what we have now when it comes to like the more deeper and intentional practices around healing, right? And and it's not to take away from what therapy is, but the reality is is that therapy needs help, right? Like I got so many friends who are therapists and you do too, who are like on the edge of burnout pre-COVID and then COVID just basically sprinkled on enough seasoning to say, hey, like I'm gonna lose my mind. So I love that you, you, you brought that up when you talk about, hey, like it is a consistent practice and it's it's more than just one thing, right? And I, I believe that even though everything might not necessarily work for every person, I do believe that there's enough in the space that we can connect to. And you mentioned the word harmony, right? That we can definitely be in sync with that will speak to our person and help us so that we can get what we need in that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to hit you with some quick hitters before we get ready to get out of here. Um, and so you, I, I was going to ask you what gives you comfort now, but it sounds like you got a lot. So two things I want to touch on real quick, because I know that you're really big in them. And uh, 
I've lost count on where you are, but I know you're an avid reader, right? And so mm -hmm. Whitney has this amazing book list that she's gone through for the year. Um, what have been, and maybe you don't have a top five, but what have been some of the most influential books that you have picked up? Um, let's just stick to 21. What have been some of the most influential books for you this year around grief, life, but I think just your overall mental and emotional? Yeah, the body keeps the score was really big for me. Even just that one section, I don't know that everybody should read the whole thing, but that section about how animals process trauma and getting it through mm -hmm. your body. Um, let me look on my phone really quick. There are others. I'm not going to stick to just 2021 because I actually did a specific Whoop. post about books that help me grieve. Love and it. Do. yeah, the first one I read I don't years ago and it was Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking and it's a memoir about the year after her husband died just randomly wow. at the breakfast table like his face splatted into their cereal and wow. he died of a heart attack right there and her whole year after that and how like the the title kind of explains the way that she was thinking of like, think, you know, did he just go on a work trip and going through his closet and finally deciding to get rid of things? Um, that book was essential for me mm -hmm. because it really normalized the experience of what happens in your brain. Yeah. Tiny Beautiful Things, which is written by Cheryl Strayed. She's really famous for Wild, which Reese Witherspoon starred in as the movie, but and that actually was an exercise in grief for her of walking that trail, the PCT, but the tiny beautiful things is a collection of her essays that she wrote as dear sugar which was an advice column in the rumpus okay. and somebody wrote to her about grief and she has a really beautiful letter in that book and it might also be online outside of that because it was first online and she lost her mother when she was young as well young early 20s and she talks about how losing her mother young made her a better person. The way that she mm -hmm. writes about it is so beautiful and really relatable. And I, you know, not to get political, but Joe Biden's book for me, Promise Me Dad, about his son's brain cancer. His son had the same brain oh, cancer wow. that my dad did. Uh -huh. it, it was uh, just an incredible love letter um, for me to read about grief. And then, um, I have one on here called An Unfinished Life, which is a novel. Not everybody relates to memoirs, nonfiction, but that one was really powerful because it was more about family relationships and grieving the loss of your family that you used to have and then creating a new one um, okay. with a grandfather, really cute, like grandfather and um, granddaughter relationship. There's one more that I want to mention and it's not in that list it's by the holistic psychologist and her book is called how to do the work mm, and it okay. talks a lot about the mental and physical connection of using she was a, a a talk therapist and then she was like all these other modalities help me too but it's so like not cool to talk about it within mm -hmm. my little world of therapists and so she kind of went off on her own and started this Instagram account that like blew up and then turned into this book where she yeah. talks a lot about like the mind body connection stuff kind of like 
a cooler version of the body keeps the score. And that one Mm -hmm. was really awesome too. And that's where I learned a lot about my inner children and talking them down. And when I feel feelings, like even me, the last time my dad walked up the steps and he was always adamant about walking me to the car and seeing me off. And I worried a lot about when he died, seeing him as sick, when I would see Mm -hmm. him, like remember him. And I kept having that memory of him walking up the steps that, and how hard it was for him to just get there and how out of breath he was just from one flight of stairs when he was like the most able person. Um, And that's where a lot of those, like, I see that girl driving away from him. And I, and when she comes up, when I'm grieving him, it, it's helpful for me to think of specific, like that's 25 year old Whitney and how can I support her right now? And what does she need? Mm. So, um, that book really helped me in that sense. So that's like six books. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that though. I love that. I think this is great, you know, for people to just know where to start, you know, some listeners might be in a space of grief right now, or maybe they're coming out, but you know, I'm always a, a big advocate around, you know, uh, the idea of it's better to stay proactive than to be reactive right and so I think with that being the case you know I don't care if it was 60 books like they they Mm -hmm. folks have an opportunity to say hey these are some things that I can invest in so you uh, obviously along with Emily are a podcaster as well but I know that as much of an avid reader as you are I know you're an avid listener too right you are very very in tune with education and I think just always becoming better in that regard are there any podcasts that you have that you just love or that that really speak to you and maybe not necessarily just through grief but just in general yours Ah. and when they had the dear sugar podcast I'm so upset that that went away but that was amazing and the the Gottman Institute does some really cool short episodes on relationships that I think are really important and then of course I love Glennon's podcast Glennon Doyle's podcast Mm -hmm. she's really kind of hit her stride I think and she's interviewing a ton of experts I'm not like a big Brene Brown fan as far as like reading her books I think that they're I don't know they just there's something about them that I don't like but hearing her interview on Glennon's podcast was really Mm -hmm. awesome I love how um, they're just super honest and open about all of the things that they struggle with and their process for that as well. But yeah. those are the main ones. There's a ton out there, but I, I, those are so the ones many. I listen to the most. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So many. All right. As we wind down here, last question for you, before we have everybody your info and where they can follow and find you. Um, if you had one thing that you said you were looking forward to most in 2022, what would it be? I would like to actually have a vacation, whether that's love it. three days or five, the way that my business has been in the past few years, I have not been able to completely uh, check out and yeah. give myself permission to do that. So I'm looking forward to the umbrella under which that is, is better boundaries. Mm. and being better myself about my boundaries and holding the line of no I'm gonna be out of office and I I mean that for my clients and for myself my clients are mostly very respectful of that but I I'm bad at checking in so I want to be 
better in 2022 about my boundaries and how I can make sure that like I if I'm going to a bar three class I'm not feeling bad that I'm not working like this is my time this is helpful for me this is all part of the big picture so yeah boundaries in a vacation Uh, you're speaking to my life right now that's (laughs) me all the time I'm like when I'm not active I feel like I am not productive (laughs) yeah getting out of that product productivity mindset that's actually pretty toxic yeah oh my god 100% 100% Wendy thank you so much for your time today where can people find you website social media everything my website is popeandassociates.com and I hope that people will love that in my business bank account, the whole name does not fit. So it's called Pope and Ass. And we very um, <laughs> lovingly call it that. That's the nickname for my business. But the website, I haven't bought that URL. The website is popeandassociates.com. I do writing communications consulting. Uh, I have a whole list of services there. On social media, I am at Whitpopa everywhere. I really strongly believe in consistency and it bothers me that yours are not all the same. And, uh, our podcast is called the coast and it is on Spotify and iTunes. And I think it doesn't pull up as easily when you write the coast, but if you type in Whitney Popa, then it'll pop up. Love it. And I'm not going to let Whitney leave this podcast (laughs) and do me like that. You listen to (laughs) my podcast enough to know (laughs) that I have never been able to get the one or two consistent names that I want to across social. This is how fast people are, yo. Like, I swear, like, and part of it is my fault from the standpoint of, like, I was, I was, I don't know if you were ever like this, but I was a skeptic when social media first hit. I was like, I didn't necessarily jump on the wave of every new app that came out, you know, in its time frame. Like, hey, Whitney just talked me into like, getting a TikTok like four months ago. <laughs> like, I've never been big on jumping on the wave, but now I'm like really upset because I'm like, I love the consistency piece, but I'm just like, yo, like I'm going to have to come up with a name that nobody has thought of that still me that I can have across the board because I can't find it. Yeah, your name is too common. It really is. But I was like, do I start going by my middle name? And then like, or maybe like some kind of like a breathing, we'll see. I'm going to figure this out. 2022, that's going to be my goal. Consistency (laughs) across social media with one name. It's just easier. (laughs) It is. Thank you so much today, Whitney, for your time. Um, I know you still got so much to do, but I appreciate you. I love you. Um, I love your family. You all have been great. I didn't share this as she talked about looking at her son's precious little face earlier I thought I almost messed him up earlier in the summer we were hooping and accidentally hit him in the face with a basketball (laughs) and no but he's still perfect kid he's amazing love Oliver so much um and so his modeling career is intact it is it really is I'm gonna tell y'all right now look when y'all follow Whitney you're gonna see his page uh you're gonna see her page you're gonna see him on that he's her face both of her kids do. (laughs) I love it. Listen, thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of Between the Dream Podcast. We got some more amazing guests coming up real soon. Today, we started and kicked it off, though, with my good friend, Whitney Popa from Popa and Associates. Um, Make sure you check her out. Follow her. Look, reach out to her if you need help and work around the spaces of communication um, when it comes to your branding, your business, your person. I tell y'all, Whitney's amazing. She's amazing. She's helped me so much this year. Whitney, I'm grateful for you. And of course, to everybody who's tuned in today, as always, you are not losing in life. You are not failing. You are simply between the dream. Real quick, what is between the dream? Not just the title of this podcast. 
not just the title of my book, Between the Dream is a Way of Life, right? Between the Dream is the point between your present moment and your promise. I like to call that area in the middle uh, the process. Between the Dream is the process. My belief is that when you embrace your process, you embrace your progress. And as you embrace your progress, you will start to walk into every promise, purpose, and plan meant for your life. So that being said, you're not losing a life. You're not failing. You're simply between the dream. <laughs> Thank you all once again. Talk to you soon. Peace.